This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. In a moment, we'll stand, uh, pray, and read scripture together. But uh, before we do, uh, I want to make a few introductory uh, remarks. Uh, first, an announcement, and then just second, some thoughts on this series that we're wrapping up today called CC3, uh, City Church entering into its third year. Uh, the first announcement um, is this. If you're visiting with us, um, just hang in there. This is some, a somewhat bizarre time. Normally during this sermon time, we just uh, walk through books of the Bible together. There's a different feel. Um, there's usually a different ending. There's uh, just a different vibe all the way around. So I'd ask you to just kind of be patient with us um, as we walk through this uh, values and vision time. Uh, this, again, is the last week of the four. Next week, um, our, our new associate pastor who'll be coming on in July, Ruth Sin, will be in town next weekend to kind of line some things up and begin the process of moving his family from Chapel Hill. And so he's graciously agreed uh, to preach uh, next Sunday morning, which I'm super excited about. Uh, then in two weeks, I'll get back uh, into Mark. Uh, at the same time, while on that topic, if you would, be praying for Rue on Tuesday. Um, he'll be on the floor of our presbytery, which is, we're in the central Florida presbytery, and all of um, the PCA pastors and ruling elders gather quarterly, and one of the things we do is we examine ministers as they come in. We examine them on their character, on their family, um, on their understanding of scripture, on their theological views. And so it will be, um, I don't think there's a lot of risk there considering uh, Ruse coming from another uh, sister presbytery, but it's just still an extensive, it's an extensive testing. So pray for him on Tuesday that God will give him answers and that he will guide him into truth. Uh, regarding our, our series here, um, we've called it City Church uh, CC3, and we've kind of put the tagline on it in multiple places, um, uh, values and subsequent vision, or values and maybe subsequent strategies. And I've kind of tried to delineate between the two because I wanted us to think through this series as primarily being about what we value, and maybe secondarily so, depending on how much time I have, uh, maybe talk about vision, talk about the future, talk about how what we cherish in our hearts uh, might orient our minds and heads as we think towards the future. The primary reason we're focusing in more on values is in this particular setting in a gospel worship service, it just tends to be uh, easier. It tends, it tends to make more sense to me. Uh, the second reason is because um, when, when, the, when the Bible talks about us as a body, uh, us in this room, it, it talks about us as different members of that body and how God knits us together and we need each other and we're crucial and yet we're not everything. We're just a part of the body. The Bible also talks about the, the body in Orlando and beyond that way, that us as a corporate structure, we will fit in with what God is doing with uh, other uh, churches, sister churches, whether they're in our denomination or not. And so when the Bible talks about the body, it, it says that we have one head, Jesus. And so when I think about values and vision, and this is different from how I've led other organizations in the past, whether it be in business or athletics or education, that when I think about the church, I believe that we should give more emphasis to values than we do vision, that we should increasingly talk about what should hold real estate in our hearts and increasingly look to Jesus as the head of his church to lead us. Now, of course, he's going to use uh, us as men and women in that leadership process. But remember, he, he has the eyes. He can see everything. I mean, I barely see in front of me some days. Uh, he has the brain. He understands everything. Um, and again, I get confused all the time. Uh, more importantly, he has the mouth. He, he can call out to his people and send them places where they go. And they don't understand how it all fits together, but they go anyway, trusting that he does. 
Now, with that being said, it's not wrong uh, by any means uh, to cast vision. It's not wrong to strategize. It's not wrong to plan. In fact, the Bible speaks to that reality. I'm just trying to give you an idea of why we said values and subsequent vision, because I want us to think in this context of them in that order. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about multiplication. (laughs) I know you're excited. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about valuing multiplication as a body. And, And this sermon... Um, at the end of this series will be different from the ones in the past in that uh, I think the points of application will primarily lean towards the future. And so with that said, I want to call our attention to James chapter 4, verse 13. It won't be in your worship folder. Uh, Just listen with me. If you have your Bibles, obviously, feel free to turn. I'm giving, before we read the scripture and enter into the sermon, I'm giving what I call the Lord willing caveat. The Lord willing caveat, James 4.13 and following. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. In other words, come now, those who cast vision. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, or if the Lord wants, or if the Lord plans, if the Lord chooses, if the Lord so desires, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, saying what we're going to do tomorrow without saying, Lord willing, we boast in our arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. The point is this. Through community, prayer, and scripture reading, we should make plans. We should cast vision. We should write strategies and prepare for the future. Uh, I'm an INTJ. Next to that either says big fat jerk or my analysis says strategic mastermind. I love thinking about these things. But the Bible says that when I do that, I should humbly do it. All the while telling myself I am not God and I'm only and wonderfully made in his image as are you. So let's stand if you're able for the reading of scripture as we consider value number four in this series, valuing multiplication. Let's ask God to prepare our hearts for these passages and for this sermon, praying aloud together this corporate prayer of illumination. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts that the seed of your word might be planted and multiplied. May we hear the word, hold it fast, and bear fruit with patience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. 
Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, So when they had come together, speaking of the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is God's word. Please be seated. So from these texts, and I won't pick apart every one of them, um, from these texts, let's consider the biblical value of multiplication. Let's think about it this way. Multiplication, what it is. Multiplication, why it's hard. Multiplication, how it's empowered. Okay, first, multiplication, what it is, and we'll talk about God's creative purposes there from Genesis 1. Uh, Second, multiplication, why it's hard. We'll talk about the effects of the fall. And the difference that makes in our call to multiply. And then lastly, we'll talk about multiplication, how it's empowered. We'll talk about God's redemptive uh, purposes. So let's just focus our attention on Genesis chapter 1 and dig in. Multiplication, what it is. Uh, Genesis 1, if you're new to the Bible, is an account of God making all things. And when you get to verse 26, everything else is in place. The earth, the sun, the moon, the land, the sea, the birds, the fish, the beasts of the ground. Everything's there. And God's about to speak into existence the pinnacle of his creation, humanity, man and woman, you and me. Verse 26 tells about the conversation the Trinity had with itself in making us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to make us in their image. And then they decided, it said, let's let them have dominion. They decided to give us dominion. Humans were created not to be God, but to reflect God, to bear his image to be his ambassador, to be his vice regent, to do his purposes on the earth. Verse 27 is God executing his triune plan. Men and women were created in his image. If you turn to Genesis 2 this afternoon, you can read a better picture of how he did it. But Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were in a place filled with God's glory. It was full of life. It was full of beauty. There was flourishing potential. And verse 28 is crucial for us this morning. This is why I think it's crucial. It records Almighty God's interaction with the first two human beings. Our great, 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 great grandparents had a conversation with God. And after he blessed them, this is what he told them to do. He said, I have given you dominion. In other words, you have authority. In other words, I want you to move forward and build civilization in this earth. But then he says this, the first commands. So we would be wise in a series on values to value the first thing in Scripture God tells us to do. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So I want to ask for your forgiveness in advance for something I call trilingual redundancy. Three languages, lots of redundancy. 
I'm just going to kind of mine the scriptures and walk through with you these things that God commanded Adam and Eve. First, to be fruitful. It's going to come up again. Para is what it is in the Hebrew. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was oxano. It means at the very least, have babies. Even more, though, God is telling Adam and Eve to cultivate, to manage, to release the potential of his garden. Next, he says, multiply. It's rabah in the Hebrew, plethuno in the Greek. And at the very least, it means have babies. But even more, for Adam and Eve, they were to duplicate themselves. They were to teach their children then how to do the same in duplicating themselves, letting the two truly become four. And then he says, fill the earth. What are they supposed to do? He tells them to multiply. Listen, he has, he has told them, if you'll obey me, death will never enter the picture. You'll never get sick. Everything will go well. And you'll just keep continually, exponentially multiplying across the globe. And then he says, fill the earth. He, he doesn't say build high rises and a mega church in the Garden of Eden. He says, move out in concentric circles into the new territories of the globe. So from a heavenly perspective, if you read the Old Testament, a lot of what creation is talking about is the heavenly perspectives, those in the heavenlies who have the ability to look down on God's creation and to see what he is doing and the glory he is bringing himself. And this is what it's supposed to look like from the heavenly perspective. That that shining, shimmering, glorifying speck on the globe, known as the Garden of Eden, was to gradually but exponentially wrap around the world, displacing darkness with light, and pushing out chaos with civilization. So, we don't know exactly how all this was supposed to go down, largely because it didn't. But we can understand some things and speculate others. Somehow, Adam and Eve's children were going to have children. That's a little gross to me. I can't figure it out, but it was going to happen. And those children were going to go and have more children. And we have to assume that the parents would teach their children about who God is and what they were built for, and eventually, when they mature enough, they would release them to the next outpost. We would assume that the children would stay connected to the parents, but also become parents, sending their children even further into the mission of God, which is to take his dominion and wrap it around the globe. And we could say, you know, when you think about it, two becomes four. A couple years later, four becomes eight. A couple, couple years later, eight becomes 16. Then 16 becomes 32. 32, 64. 64, 128. 128, 256. 256, 512. 512, 1,024, etc. You say, what a brilliant plan. I mean, God could have put civilization and people all over the globe, but instead he said, for his glory, it will go, uh, it, it is better and preferable to him to start with two and then multiply everything across the landscape. But unfortunately, as we all know, whether you know from knowing the Bible or you know because you experience it, it didn't go down this way. In fact, the opposite happened. Genesis 3 records Adam and Eve's rebellion, not dominion. They were not content to be God's ambassadors. They wanted to be kings. They were not content to reflect as in his image and likeness. They weren't happy to reflect his glory. They wanted to be the ones who originated glory. And so they rebelled. Chapter 4 is the tragic story, if you know the Bible, where instead of Cain and Abel uh, and then the daughters of Adam and Eve uh, having children and multiplying everything, it's the tragic story that not only did giving birth to Cain and Abel eventually kill Eve, but Cain killed Abel out of jealous rage. God's beautifully orchestrated ball of potential had become the fertilized ground for rampant evil. 
Chapter 5 tells the multiplication of Adam's line, his lineage. And then chapter 6 lets us know what happened. It says, when man began to multiply, which is what they're supposed to do, on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was multiplied in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Now, I could tell you about the flood, and a lot of us know about it. He tells Noah to build the ark, and it says the waters then multiplied and multiplied greatly over the land. And I can tell you about how God decided to do away with the evil that had rebelled against him, but somehow by his grace saved Noah and his family. And I could tell you about chapter 9 when Noah gets out of the ark, and it says God blessed him and blessed his sons and said, this is going to sound familiar, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Para, para, mala, agzano, Plethuno in the Greek. Again, later in chapter 9, he's going to say, you guys, plural, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to what God said to the patriarchs throughout Genesis, and I'm being redundant on purpose. I'm trying to help us understand why this might need to be a value for us. Genesis 16, God speaking to Sarai, the woman that will become Sarah. I will surely multiply your offspring. Genesis 17, he's speaking to Abram. I make my covenant with you. You will multiply greatly. I could do Abraham in Genesis 22 again. I could talk about Isaac from Genesis 26. I could talk about Isaac again from Genesis 26. I could go to Isaac's son Jacob in chapter 28. The God Almighty will bless you and you'll be fruitful and multiply same words over and over. I could go again to Genesis uh, 35 and talk again about Jacob, but, but I won't. I could keep going into Exodus. And like the very, one of the very first phrases in Exodus is that God's people were multiplying in the land of Egypt. And the reason I've allowed this redundancy to go on is because multiplication is really stinking hard. And if we aren't convinced of the biblical reality of God's call for us to multiply, we won't. So I can hear you saying, I can hear you thinking, well, that's Old Testament. That's related to the geopolitical nation of Israel. I know you guys are brilliant. See, I would expect that from you. See how I lean in towards you guys? But think about me with the New Testament. I mean, when we see that God does not abolish or abandon what he was doing, but when when he fulfills what he was doing in Jesus Christ, uh, think about the New Testament. We read from Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Jesus says to his disciples, they now want Jesus to restore the kingdom. Right now, pronto aura. This is the best time for it. Let's go ahead and bring the kingdom to bear. And Jesus had already taught them the kingdom's going to multiply like a mustard seed into a tree. It's just going to take some time. I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be better for you. I'm going to send my spirit to come rest upon you. And when that happens, leave here. You will be my witnesses in concentric circles if you know uh, the map of the ancient Near East. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's saying do the exact same thing of what we wanted to do with the first Adam, but he rebelled. The second Adam comes, and the game plan is not different. There's just a different hero. So in Acts chapter 6, when it's talking about the New Testament church, that's us. This is what it says. Now in these days, when the disciples were multiplying, Plethuno, in number, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase or bear fruit, Oxano, and the number of the disciples multiplied, Plethuno, greatly in Jerusalem, Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Plethano. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Oxano and Plethuno. Acts 19, 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase. Oxano and Plethuno and prevail mightily. All right. Now, I want to apologize for that. That was hard on all of us, but I felt like we had to get through it. 
I want to talk very specifically now. <coughs> I want to bring the concept of multiplication and the idea that Jesus taught in his parables that his kingdom would grow through exponential multiplication. And I want to talk about how we've tried to value it at City Church. I want to talk about how we are valuing it now at City Church. And I want to talk about where we're going to value it, we hope, Lord willing, in the future. So wake up if you're asleep. I apologize. We always valued multiplication in theory. For those of you that were around before the church existed and I made you read those horrible vision documents, the word multiply was shot through the entire thing. I apologize. We have valued multiplication in reality. We've always said that the truest and fullest expression of our church is the city group. When City Church started, just a little bit over two years ago, we had three groups. We now have 14. We have five that are pregnant. The way that we went from three to 14 and the way we will move forward is that when a group is, is, is large and healthy and we perceive that it is healthy enough to become two groups, we ask the leader on the ground to begin to pray about multiplying that group. It's because we believe that the Bible values multiplication. This is what we'll do. We'll send an email to the leader and we'll say, hey, look, on paper, it looks like your group is pregnant, but you're on the ground. It's hard to know if you should say to a woman, are you expecting or not? You know, it's very awkward. You're, you're there. You know, what do you think? I mean, does it look like God is multiplying a group from your midst? We never force any of the lead leaders to multiply their group. We always ask them to lead their groups in prayer and wonder if God is, again, because of his creative and redemptive purposes, multiplying their group. Let's consider another example of how I think we're valuing multiplication right now and how God brought us to it. City worship, where we're at right now. In two weeks, we'll multiply this body of worshipers into a morning and an evening option. And I realize in advance that some of you have already taken note of how painful that will be for 60 of us to not be here in two weeks. Some of you, it just hit you how painful that's going to be in two weeks when 60 of us will not be sitting here and all the cute little kids that go along with them. In making the decision to go to mornings and evenings, see, this is where it starts to get about uh, vision and starts to lean away from what we normally would do in the sermon time. Um, we tried awfully hard um, to not go to two services. Um, we, we, we tried to negotiate with, the, music, um, with um, the Church Street Station Ballroom for quite some time, uh, a place where everyone wanted it to happen, but it just never quite happened. And we were trying to be prayerful in it. We, were, we could have been willful. We could have pushed it and made it happen. And yet the leaders, uh, the men and women praying about it, just did not have a piece about it. We tried to move this group of people to a larger venue so more people just like us could come and sit next to us. And God didn't let it happen. No, I'm not saying we're going to be here forever. Don't pin me in with my own words. This is why I don't like to talk about visions, because I've said so many dumb things that haven't come true. But um, we, began, we began to realize that with city worship, that what we were trying um, to do by going to the Church Street Station was not what God had for us yet. He wanted us to value multiplication first before we grew to a bigger venue. So we're like, all right, well, you know, it was mainly laziness on my part that I didn't want to go to two services because when you guys are watching the Masters, you know where I'm going to be? Right here, two services. Um, but at any rate, so we're like, all right, what do we do? Do we just go to a 9.30 and 11? That'd be the easiest. That way all the people that look alike could hang out in the rotunda between services. I could be home for lunch and we would move on. But we began, we began to realize and... Um, I'm not saying this is true of every church that has two services by any means, but it felt to me like that if we would have gone to two services in the morning, 
what we would have done is created a pregnancy that we never expected to come full term. And I, 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 I want to be really, really careful of this. I'm not trying to be insensitive to those, to those pregnancies that tragically end with the opposite of life. Our family actually has gone through that, and it stinks. But what I'm saying is, is that I felt like for us, two services in the morning, back-to-back, serving the same type of people, would feel like a pregnancy stuck at 36 weeks. Where both the mom and the baby are moderately healthy, but both would prefer to be separated from one another. I just kind of felt like what we would do is we would create this appendage on who we were instead of giving birth to something that could grow and live on its own. So again, I'm not trying to be insensitive. It's just sort of the idea that I had. And as I've talked to moms and explained what I thought this illustration might be, they laughed and said, yeah, I've been to two services. It feels exactly like that. But let's consider for the future and take this redemptive historical context of multiplication and let's think about how it applies to us in the future. On the broadest scale, um, we've always said from day one that we want to be a church that plants churches. We've always said we're praying for it, we're planning for it, we're saving money so that it will happen. What that means is that we will bring an apprentice in, and they will live in and among us, and some of you will fall in love with him. You'll fall in love with his wife if he has one, you'll fall in love with their children if they have them, and God will call you to go and to plant a church. Will that be painful? Sure. I don't know of any labor and delivery that's not. But is it, what, is it what's on God's heart? I think so. And so we're, we're praying and we're planning and we're actually saving. We've actually begun to save that, that we would begin to plant churches in Orlando, like in our backyard. That's our Jerusalem. That we would plant churches in Metro Orlando. That's our Judea. That we would plant churches in the city center, centers of Florida and around uh, the United States. That's our Samaria. And that in the urban centers around the world, that uh, our ends of the earth, we would see ourselves multiplied. And so, you know, as I already mentioned, we already have a fund called uh, the Church Planting Fund. And uh, some of you, by the way, got a letter yesterday or you will this week that includes your contribution report for 2009 and talks about what we want to do in 2010. And one of the things we'll do is save 5% of our income this year to match the 5% we're doing for internal mercy. We'll put 5% away so that we can church plant next year, so that we can bring on staff next year a church planter who would go out from us, uh, we pray, in 2012. Now, I'm thankful um, for our denomination and for the authorities that God's put over over this church in the Central Florida Presbytery because they they gave us indicators of what they wanted to see happen in our body before we hired an apprentice and planted a church. And we, we really humbly believe that those indicators will be fulfilled at the end of this year. And so we will begin around summer looking for a church planter. And it will be hard, but it will be good. Let's think about what multiplication looks like. Let's dream about it from a numbers perspective. Let's think about Einstein's eighth wonder of the world. Now just listen. This is for all you INTJs out there, all three of you. What if we planted a church every two years for the next 20 years, 10 churches? And what if those 10 churches in their fourth year started to plant churches every two years, just like us? And even if none of those second-generation churches ever planted a church, if we planted a church every two years, and in their fourth year they began to plant churches every two years, in 20 years we would have 47 churches. That's the power and the value of multiplication. And let's just say that those 47 churches have numbers like ours. 
Uh, I don't really know how many are here this morning. I know that when they report the numbers, it's somewhere around 200 in worship. So that's not including our kids, who, by the way, in 20 years will be adults. And it's not including the adults who are serving the kids. And it's not including the adults that we have that are, that are sick or right now giving birth, although I don't know if anyone is, and, um, and, 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 and on vacation or whatever it may be. But let's just say that there's 200 people in these uh, 47 churches. And then will just give you a visual of what that might look like. That, that would mean in 20 years, our church or the churches we have planted, or the churches our churches have planted, there would be 9,400 adults across Orlando or Central Florida, let's say. Now, if you took those 47 churches and 9,400 adults, I personally would put them up against any 10,000-member church in Orlando and say that the 47 churches and the 9,400 adults would be more effective in terms of advancing the kingdom than any one church. I mean, think about it with me. It would be more effective in discipling each member of the church, not wowing or entertaining most of them. It would be more effective in helping each member discover their gifts, be trained in them, and released to use them. It would be more effective in being gospel family. How do you do internal mercy and internal honesty at that size? I don't know. It would be more effective in showing members how their career is a calling and can be redemptive. It would be more effective in planting churches in the future. Even mega churches, like the ones in our denomination that we're learning from, they plant churches but they only plant a couple a year. Nothing compared to what 47 churches could do that grows exponentially. I also believe that we would be more effective in reaching every corner of Orlando. We've said we want every resident of Orlando in the kingdom of God, experiencing the gospel and doing the work of the Father. I, I, I don't know how one church in one segment of, of this landscape um, can be as effective as 47 churches in all the different neighborhoods of Orlando. Now, that to me, I realize I'm weird, that sounds like something to give your life to. I mean, that sounds like potential bound up that could be absolutely exciting and invigorating. Now, I can see my friends out there. I can feel my friends out there. And I've heard my friends out there say the following. Now, Ted... I can see how a math-minded person like yourself, a notorious INTJ, could get excited about this. But those numbers who are multiplying and being ripped apart and divided in half are people, real people with hearts and relationships. This is not just Einstein's eighth wonder on a PowerPoint. It's really hard and really painful. And that, with that, I would like to transition to our second point, which will be much, much briefer than our first. Multiplication, why it's hard. <laughs> I apologize. I've done a horrible job of managing our time. If you think about um, this, this is why multiplication will be incredibly difficult. Because when Adam and Eve were told to multiply... There was no sin and no death in the world, and there was no sin and no death inside of them. And so the reason this will be incredibly hard is because when Adam and Eve would take their son or daughter, and if it would have happened this way, and send them out to the next outpost, they could be guaranteed that they would see them again. They could be guaranteed that that son and daughter would come back and spend time with them. They could be guaranteed that that son and daughter would bring the grandkids back to spend time with them. But listen, in a world where death and sin and wickedness has run ahead of the gospel, we should assume that it will be very hard and very painful. 
I mean, compare what Adam and Eve would have gone through in sending their children out to an outpost compared to what a parent does when they take their first child and take them to college. It's scary. And it's incredibly painful. Because the reality is, is that child that moves out is not guaranteed to ever come back. And that child that moves out, um, some tragedy could happen to them or a relational uh, mishap could happen and sin could get in the middle and it may never be like it was before. That's part of the reason why it's incredibly hard. The other reason why it's incredibly hard is that we're sinners and that there's sin and evil and death inside of me and you. We love comfort and we love control. We're selfish and we're self-righteous and we don't think those out there should get what we have. We're afraid to fail. And we're afraid of being disapproved, that if we do fail, we'll be mocked. Let me just tell you, church plants do fail. And city groups that multiply sometimes don't make it. And that's just the reality of what we're living in. I would close with this. Our alternative, the alternative to that painful option of multiplying is not any better than staying comfortable. The alternative to not multiplying is not any better. In fact, it's worse. Now, let me direct your attention back to the book of Acts. Do you remember what Jesus said in chapter 1? He said, you will be my witness, not a command, but a statement of fact. If you keep reading in Acts, you would read that the church did indeed multiply and it grew like crazy. And Jesus said, I want you, you will be my witnesses in these concentric circles. But then he, he says, uh, if you read the book of Acts, you won't see Judea come up in chapters 1 through 8, except two times where Judeans come to Jerusalem, the opposite of what was supposed to happen. And you won't read Samaria at all through chapter 8, and you won't read ends of the earth again. And so here's the point. They're building a megachurch in Jerusalem. And do you want to know what God did? Chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God got it done. Chapter 9, verse 31. The church throughout, listen to where they are, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied from there. This is my point. I believe if we refuse to multiply... He will multiply us anyway. I believe that we can look at the sufferings and the pain of multiplying ourselves and far rather choose that than wait for him to do it to us. He will make us into his witnesses in Orlando, Metro Orlando, the United States, and the world. I was thinking anecdotally about this. That means according to my experience and not necessarily verified by fact, although I do know that missiologists have proven this point. I was thinking about those churches I know of who have a vigorous and a rigorous church planting um, strategy and that they do, they do actually church plant. And I actually made phone calls to four of them and talked to the pastors and I asked them, tell me about the schisms and the splits in your past. They said, well, people always leave because they'll find out what you're doing, and that's good because God calls them on. But you know what? Of the four I called anecdotally, we've never actually had a split. And then I thought about those churches I know of that I've been in in my past and that I know of that I, that I honestly I would want to have, those huge churches. And I think about the people that leave in droves at the same time. 
And again, this is anecdotal, but I believe that Scripture would prove from what I read in Acts and also when, when Paul and Barnabas um, fought over John Mark and they split and the church multiplied that way. I really believe that the one who chose to fall to the ground and die so he could bear much fruit will continue to bring that about in us. I would say, let's join him in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for this time. Um, I thank you for this sermon. I have no idea how you take your word and the preaching of your word and how you move it forward. But but I would ask that you would do it. I have seen you do it. Um, I have seen you uh, take um, what, what comes from my limited study and knowledge, and I've seen you make it amazing. And I would ask for you to do that again today. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would comfort us when we enter into multiplying this church, as painful as it will be. But I also pray that you would energize us by your glory going forward around the world. Lord, I just ask for you to make of it what you will, and I ask for you to be glorified. I ask for us to decrease and you to increase. In your name we pray. Amen.